Welcome to Daily Daf Differently, a Jcast Network podcast. This daily podcast invites you to join us to study the Daily Talmud page with a variety of liberal rabbis and teachers. For more information about Daily Daf Differently, please visit jcastnetwork.org slash ddd. For more information about the other Jcast Network podcasts and blogs, please visit jcastnetwork.org. Welcome to Daily Duff Differently. I'm Rabbi Utsteyer, and today we will be studying Duff 36, Lamed Vav, in the third chapter of Masechet Sukkah. We left off yesterday towards the end of 35 Bet, because today we will be talking in more detail about the characteristics of a valid etrog. Remember that our Mishnah stated that an etrog that has boils, chazazit, on the majority of its surface is invalid. Before we start, let's get some of the terminology straight. If you have an etrog lying around from last year, pull it out, or maybe pull up a picture from the internet. The etrog has two ends. One is the stem, that is where the etrog actually was attached to the tree. This stem is called ockets. The other end is at the, let's say, top of the etrog. It is a short stem-like growth called dud, and it ends in a little rounded bud called the shoshanta. All of that together is often referred to as the epitam. When you look at the etrog, you'll see that at one point the etrog starts sloping towards the epitam. Now this shoulder is called the chotem, the nose. But there is some disagreement among the authorities as to where the chotem starts. The Rambam, for instance, says that the dad is the chotem, but the Shulchan Aruch and the Rosh go with the definition that I gave you previously from where the etrog starts sloping upwards towards the pitam. Let's return to our Gemara at the bottom of 35b. If an etrog was covered in chassizit, Rav Christa says that if these boils concentrate in one area, this makes the etrog invalid. But if they are spread out in two or three places, even though if one would combine these boils, there would be the majority of the peel, the etrog is kasher. The opinion is immediately challenged. If the boils are spread out, then the etrog is pasul, because it resembles a spotted etrog, and such an etrog lacks beauty. Chatzazit originated from rot, and it's not found often in today's etrogim. But the rules still apply to some other discoloration of an etrog, even though they are technically not chazazit. The Gemara outlines three circumstances when in chazazit or a chazazit-like discoloration makes an etrog pasol. The first is when the majority of the etrog is covered by it. The second, when it is in two or three places, and no matter how you turn the etrog, the discoloration is still visible. And the third, when it is found on the chotem. Amar Rava, ve'al chotmo, afilu b'mashu nami pasul. Rava said, if it is on the chotem, regardless how much, it is pasul. Rashi explains why. Dibu hamatril afilu kol shu. Shenir'e sham le'enaim yoter misha mekumot. 
because it is more visible there to the eyes than on any other spot. He continues saying that the Chotem is also the place of the Etrog that most people automatically look at. Nitla Pitmato. The Pitam was removed. Rabbi Yitzchak ben Elazar says, Nitla Buchnato. Its pestle was removed. And he seems to make a distinction between which part of the Pitam, the Dad or the Shoshanta. He believes that only if the entire Pitam, meaning the Dad, is missing, the Etrog is invalid. But if only the upper part, the Bat or the Shoshanta, is missing, he would still consider the Etrog valid. If you look at both Rashi and the Tosafot, you'll see that they both cite an opinion where Nitla Pitmato does not refer to the Pitam at all, but rather to the Ockets, the stem. Rashi explains that this comes from the fact that the Ockets sits in a cavity that forms naturally at the bottom of an Etrog, like a pestle, and that Rabbi Yitzchak isn't bothered by a missing Pitam, but only by a missing Ockets. But Rashi rejects that opinion. The Halakha, according to the Shulchan Aruch, says that if either of them is missing, meaning either the Pitam or the Ockets, the Etrog is invalid. That being said, sometimes the Pitam falls off naturally during growing process. If that happened, it does not invalidate the Etrog, only if it broke off or otherwise became removed. Likewise, only if the entire orchid was removed and leaves behind a little cavity where it used to be, the etrog is pasul. But if part of the orchid remains so that the cavity is filled, the etrog is valid. The etrog is considered to have three layers. The first one is the shiny, waxy surface. The second is the green or yellow rind. And the third is the innermost white fleshy peel. So when Rava says three lines from the bottom of 35 bed that a peeled etrog that turns red like a date is valid, Rashi assumes that Rava was talking about a case where parts of the shiny waxy surface was peeled. He says such a damage to that part of the skin would result in a reddish color and that wouldn't invalidate the etrog. The Gemara wonders how that can be, as we have learned, Niklaf Pasul. If it was peeled, it is Pasul. Look, Hashia, there is no problem. The Gemara tries to explain that Rava was talking about a case where the, actually the entire Etrog was peeled. And the Gemara quoted from a case where only part of the skin was peeled. This obviously results in much discussion among the Rishonim. If the Etrog was peeled entirely, it would all turn reddish, resulting in the question whether it would still be Hada, beautiful. It would also be very susceptible to rot, making it maybe Pasule Chatrila. And it would also be in contradiction with what we said above, that a discoloration is only valid if it doesn't exceed a certain amount, and only if it isn't in certain spots so it isn't visible from at least one angle. The Rishonim go into an elaborate discussion how much must remain of the skin. So they are effectively redefining all. So that the skin can regrow or recover from the damage. We continue. Nistak nikkaf. If the etrog is split or punctured. The Mishnah read, Nistak, 
נקד בחסה כלשהו. If it was split or punctured and parts are missing, the etrog is פסול. But implied is that if it was punctured and no parts are missing, then the etrog is valid. Ula Bachanina explains that an etrog that was punctured through, meaning that there is an entry hole and there is an exit hole, no matter how big the hole, the etrog is פסול. But if it was punctured and there is no exit hole and the entry hole is smaller than an Isa coin, it would be valid. The Gemara continues on a different discussion, but I want to stick with the case of the damaged etrog. So let's go to the top of 36 bet, five lines from the top. Etrog, shenikavuhu achparim. An etrog that was punctured by mice. Rav Amar, ein zahada. It is not considered beautiful. Well, besides it not being beautiful anymore, the mouse took a bite out of it, so certainly the etrog would be pasul. Eni? The Gemara asks, is that really so? And comes with an illustration. Rabbi Hanina would dip the etrog. Rashi elaborates, he would dip the etrog and then eat a piece of it. And still Rabbi Hanina would use the etrog to fulfill the mitzvah. Besides that, I can't imagine why anyone would want to take a bite of a raw etrog, be it a mouse or Rabbi Hanina. How can he still perform the mitzvah with it? The etrog is now clearly lacking. Uli Rabbi Hanina kashia matnitin. Rabbi Hanina has a problem for Mishnah. What happens now is an attempt to resolve this. Bishlama matnitin li Rabbi Hanina lo kashia. Granted that our Mishnah is not a problem for Rabbi Hanina. Kan beyom tov rishon, kan beyom tov shini. Our Mishnah spoke about a deficient etrog, an etrog that was chazeh, on yom tov rishon. Whereas here Rabbi Hanina did what he did on yom tov shini. Now how does this help us? By remembering that ulakachtem nachem applies in full only on the first day of the festival, where the obligation is the oraita. From the second day and onward, the obligation is the Rabbanan. But where is it implied that Rabbi Hanina chomped on his etrog only on the second day of the festival? It's certainly not mentioned explicitly in the Gemara. But the Rishonim had a field day with that and came to the conclusion that indeed this must have been the case because an etrog that is dedicated for the mitzvah becomes mukze, and hence Rabbi Hanina would not have touched it in order to dip it and then munch on it. But rather he nibbled on an etrog that he had lying around in the house and used it then on the second day of the festival. Okay, this sort of gets Rabbi Hanina off the hook. Ella the Rav Kasha. But Rav still has a problem. Rav is the one who said that you can't use an etrog that mice nibbled on because it's no longer beautiful. So in that case, Rabbi Hanina's action is still questionable because when he ate part of the etrog, that sure makes it lacking in beauty as well. The Gemara resolves the problem by saying that according to Rav, there's a difference. Shani achparim demise. Mice are different because they are disgusting. To be honest, I'm not quite on board with the Gemara's resolution. But now I want to take a moment to talk about scrutiny when buying an etrog. As we see, there are some specific things that make an etrog pasul. So a person buying an etrog should exercise due caution. If you buy your etrog through a reputable vendor with a kosher certificate, 
It usually means the etrog fulfilled certain minimum criteria, and it is at least kosher de chatrila. What it cannot certify is whether any kind of blemishes might have occurred during transport and subsequent handling. So yes, one should check the etrog, but how much scrutiny is required? I enjoy going to Lulav and Etrog Street Market and picking out my own set, and I also enjoy to obsess a little bit about picking the nicest set I can find. I think there's nothing wrong with it, and it is in the spirit of Hidu Mitzvah, beautifying the mitzvah. But I am fully aware that when I reject one Etrog over another, this actually is not so much on the grounds of one being Pasur, but more that a question of aesthetics. I like a certain shape of an etrog or a certain shade of yellow more than another shape or shade. The halacha is very clear. In the case of disqualifying discolorations, for instance, only what is visible to the unaided eye without great scrutiny disqualifies. If you need magnifying glasses to see a spot, halachically that spot does not exist. It can be a great experience to go out and pick out your own Abba Minim and to browse the vendors and to find the perfect set. But at least to me, once it starts involving measuring tapes and magnifying glasses and all kinds of other things, something important has been lost. In my eyes, what is lost is the pure joy and aesthetic and beauty of the holiday. So let's make sure to keep that in mind. I hope you've enjoyed today's episode of Daily Daf Differently and that you'll join us again tomorrow for a new page. The music at the opening and close of this episode is Ufros from the Epic Horus album One Bead, available on Bandcamp, iTunes, and Spotify.